If it's not, well, hopefully it's something that, uh, that can be appreciated by all of us. Um, let's start by turning to John's Gospel and chapter 8. John's Gospel, chapter 8. And we'll start reading at verse 43. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my words. Ye are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you, ye dishonor me. And I speak not mine own glory, but there is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Now it's a familiar portion, I'm sure. We've all had opportunity to look at this more than once. But I've wondered a little bit, what kind of a insult is this? Thou art a Samaritan and hast the devil. Have you noticed that the two accusations that are brought before him, he only answers one of them. He only answers, I have not a devil. He didn't answer the other one. I wonder sometimes what's behind that. If we look at Second um, Kings 17, See if I can find it. Second Kings seventeen. And uh, verse twenty-four. Now we're familiar, I'm sure, with this as well. The king of Assyria came in and took all the children of of the north 
tribes away and Samaria was sort of desolate and he brought people in from other countries to populate Samaria. The king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and from Sepharvaim and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. Now, count them up. There are five different countries that he brought people from and put them in Samaria. What do you think the Jewish people would have thought of this? Gentiles were dogs. But here we have five different countries in this one area, and it's probably the the worst of the worst in the eyes of an Israelite. But remember what the Lord Jesus did when he went to the well? He spoke to that woman, and he said, go call thy husband. And she says, I have no husband. And the Lord says, yeah, I know that. You have had five husbands. So if the people of Israel would look at those in Samaria as being extremely polluted people, here we are in Samaria where those five countries were, and here is this woman that was looked down by those that were already polluted in the eyes of the Jewish people. And so she was what we would call the worst of the worst, the scum of them all. But the Lord Jesus saw a never-dying soul there, and he approached her and told her all things that ever she did, and it had an effect on her. And she went then and became an evangelist and drew others and said, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Well, the Lord came down to the very lowest to lift us up, to bring us into blessing. Let's look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? In the law how readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said to him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? <laughs> yes, he was sort of uh, going through the list of things. And I think he came to this one when the Lord said, Go and do it all. And he says to himself, Hmm, not quite sure I can live up to that one. Maybe I can get out of it. Who is my neighbor? 
Well, the Lord tells him. He answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, I've never been to Israel, but a friend of mine was. And he says, there's the old road from Jerusalem to Jericho that goes through some of these caverns and some of the, some of the walls be, that are in either side of that path, they go up a few hundred feet and there's sheer cliffs and there's different passageways. It's an excellent place for robbers. It's an excellent place where lions might, might hide and whatever, excellent place. And here's what happened, a certain man went from Jerusalem to Jericho. When I read the words, a certain something, it tells me that there's not, a, it's not a mythic, mystical thing. It's a real thing that happened. Remember when Cain slew Abel and the Lord spoke to him and then Cain went out from the presence of God. I think that's what we have in this picture here. The man going from Jerusalem, the place of blessing, the place where it was going to have the Lord's name and the temple and all of the other things there. He went from that place. And I understand Jerusalem's on a hill. It's an elevated place. He went from that high place and he went down. That's the direction man has gone ever since Cain slew Abel. He went down. And he kept going down. And he went down. He didn't just go down. He went to the place of a curse. And that's where man is today. The place of a curse. Sin brought him there. And it tells us that he fell among thieves. And they stripped him and left him half dead. And that's exactly the condition that man is in today without God. Half dead. They might be alive to all of the pleasures of this world. But they're dead to God. Half dead. And so there he is in an awful condition. And that's the condition that man is in today. But the sad thing is, man doesn't realize how bad his condition is. But this person did. He realized it. They left him half dead. And then it says, by chance. Now, I think this is important to take notice of. There came down a certain priest. By chance. This priest didn't seem to have uh, an object in life by chance. We're going to contrast that with someone else in a moment. The priest came down that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Law can do nothing for the salvation of a soul that has fallen into sin. Nothing. There is no power in the law to do anything to bring that person into blessing. And so all the priest could do was to pass by on the other side. Helpless. Oh, the law is good if it's used lawfully. And I'm under the impression that the lawful use of the law is just to show us how far away from God we've, we've gone. So this priest could do nothing 
to help. The law can do nothing to bring a person into blessing. And then it says, and likewise, well, here's a Levite. Seems that he's got no real object in life either. When he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Oh, you know, the Levite, they might have been able to bring someone to the priest for blessing. But this man had been so beaten up and so left half dead, you know, that a man with a broken nose could not be brought into the congregation of Israel, according to the Old Testament law. Here's a man that was in far worse condition than that. This Levite could do nothing to help that man in his need. But then it says, and here's that word again, a certain Samaritan. You know, the Lord didn't answer the accusation of being a Samaritan. I don't think he mind that he was classified with, with the Samaritans. The priest could do nothing, the Levite could do nothing, but here's a man that was not bound by the law. He came, and it says, not by chance, but as he journeyed. You know, as well as I, that the Lord had a purpose from coming from the presence of the Father into this scene of sin and strife. He had a purpose. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He journeyed. He knew what he, he was doing. He knew where he was going. And that journey led him to the cross of Calvary. But he didn't turn aside. He journeyed. He came where he was. I like to think that's a picture of the incarnation of Christ. He became a man. He came to where you and I are. He came from the glorious heights above down into this scene, and he became a man, came where he was. And when he saw him, what happened when the Lord saw the effects of sin at the grave of Lazarus? Jesus wept. I think that's why he wept. The effects of sin is what he saw. It wasn't that Lazarus died. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus again. But he wept because of the effects of sin on man. And so he saw him and had compassion on him. Greater love hath no man than this. And a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, for you and I. And he went to him and bound up his wounds. Here's the, the great physician, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And what's he done for you and I? When we came to Christ, the Spirit of God took residence in our hearts. There's the oil, the Spirit of God, and wine. You know what wine speaks of in the Old Testament. Wine brings joy to the heart of God and to, and to man. And so what do we have here? When the Lord came into your heart and mine, it gave us something to rejoice about. We were on that broad road that led to destruction, but we're taken off of that road and we're put on the narrow way that leads to life. There is something to rejoice about. 
oil, and wine. And he set him on his own beast. <laughs> I like to think that the Lord Jesus took that lowest place of all, a Samaritan, and lifted us up into a place we didn't deserve for our blessing. Put us on his own beast. Brought him to an end. Now, this is my impression of what the inn speaks of. I'm under the impression that the inn speaks of the local gathering of God's people. That is where one who has been battered and had been robbed and left half dead, but had but Christ brought him to himself and, and poured in oil and wine and set him on his own beast. Where does he bring them? He brings them to the company of his people. That's that company that should make every effort to help a new convert, though there might be, as we say, a lot of grave clothes that needs to be removed, to make a real effort to comfort that person, to bring him in, to help him, to, to enjoy the life that the Lord's given to him. He brought him to an end. And on the morrow, when he departed, remember when Moses appeared with Christ on that Mount of Transfiguration? I don't know what your translation says, but it says they spoke about his exodus. They spoke about his exodus. Jesus was about to leave the scene. He was going to depart. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. It all fits together, doesn't it? He departed. He took out two pence and gave them to the host. <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't attempt to try to to tell you when the Lord's going to come back. Nobody knows. I'm not going to try to tell you that. But I will say this. We know that a penny was a wage for a day. And we know, according to God's timetable, a day is as a thousand years. And so it's been a couple thousand years since the Lord's been here. I don't know when he's coming back. But it's time because it says the host, he says, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Oh, maybe the day of grace might be extended for one reason or another. One reason or another. So he doesn't tell us. Oh, we know when the Lord was going to die. We can find out that from the Old Testament. We can find out when he was going to come and and be uh, born in Bethlehem. We can find out where he was going to be born. We can find out when he was going to be born. We can find out when he was going to die. We can find out all of those things. If you've ever read a book by Sir Robert Anderson, it takes all of the days of, of the scriptures and all of the years that are mentioned there, and he comes up with a scriptural proof of all of those things. We know when the Lord was coming, when he died, where he was going to be born, 
what the circumstance was going to be, what was going to be marked by during his life while he was here. We know all of that. But we do not know when the Lord's coming again. So he's going to give him two pence. And he says, if you spend any more, I will repay thee. He gave it to the host. Now, I think we all are aware that that's a beautiful picture of the Spirit of God. A beautiful picture of the Spirit that should have complete liberty in the local assembly. That should have complete liberty to guide and direct and to lead and to care for God's children wherever they might be found. Sad to say, there are many places that have, that have worked the Spirit of God right out of, their, out of their activities because they've taken up so much of man's ideas and man's ways. The Spirit no longer has the liberty in many places. The Spirit's quenched. It might even be that the Spirit's grieved. Grieving of the Spirit is because of sin. Quenching of the Spirit is when man comes up with a certain course of things that's not in the Word of God, and this, say, that's what we're going to do here, and the Spirit doesn't have liberty anymore because they've made some rules that are not found in the Bible. Quenching the Spirit. But here it tells us that this host was going to care for this person, was going to help him, was going to meet his needs while he was there. Again, a beautiful picture of the local assembly. And it says, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now, he turns to this lawyer that was asking, who is my neighbor? Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer comes up with this. He said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Who's our neighbor? The people that need mercy. And there's millions of them in this world. Who are those that, are, that are, have been attacked by Satan and are left half dead? There's many of them in this world. And we're not the Samaritan, but we can do the work of an evangelist. And we can point them to the Samaritan. We can point them to Christ and tell them what Christ has done for them. What a wonderful Savior we have. Now, I don't know about you. But I enjoy this thought. That man was there in that inn being cared for. And he finally is able to walk. And he finally is able to get up and do some things now that he's feeling better. But he heard something. He heard that Samaritan tell the host, when I come again. He didn't say if. He said when. I come again, I will repay thee. And I can see that man that was brought to the inn, finally having some strength to get up, I can see him going to the door, looking down the road, 
is that one who had taken care of me, who had shown mercy to me, is he coming yet? Is he coming yet? And he looks down, he might see someone, no, that's not him. Is he coming yet? He goes to that door. If it was me, I would go to that door often and look for that one who took me out of that awful condition that I was in, poured in oil and wine, put me on his own beast, brought me to an inn, and had me cared for until he comes again. Well, that's just my little thought today. I don't know if I shared that before, but it's something that I really enjoy to think of what the local assembly is supposed to be and how we're to watch out for those that have needs and the new converts now and then that might not understand a lot and they might even be a little bit offensive in some ways, but they need care. They need encouragement. They need building up. They need training. And that's what the local assembly, I think, is intended to do, which is close with a little prayer. Our God and Father, we thank thee for their desire to have a gospel effort by dear ones here at the Palms and others elsewhere. And we just pray, our Father, that there might be opportunities to reach out to those that have been left half dead. And that there we might have the words that would point them to the one that's able to meet their needs, that's able to lift them out of that condition, bring them into eternal blessing. And we pray, our Father, for, for help for the evangelists, those that are out in the mission field, anyone that has a love for lost souls, they might have the right words to say that would cause a heart to say, I want to know more about that one that is able to save, able to lift me up, able to help where the priest can't help, where the Levite can't help, but one that can help has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we pray, Father, for the gospel efforts wherever it goes forth. And we ask thy blessing in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.